so hard to slow down the fellowship that's going on and everybody communicating and loving on one another. A couple of announcements that I want to share with you. First, if you don't know what to do with your old egg cartons, Val and the youth group uh, have need of them. So if you have old egg cartons, bring them into church and we'll get them to Val. She can use them. So um, don't just toss them. Bring them in. Also, you're welcome. Also, back in the back, Sheila Weir, a friend of Alan Kathy Pryor, is, has a table where she is selling some goods uh, in order to raise funds. She is a missionary to Kenya, Uganda. Uganda, thank you. And so, uh, yeah, her testimony is going to be in the bulletin next week. It's, it's quite astounding. Um, so if you would like to take a look at her table, make a donation, purchase some jewelry or something, it would be wonderful. She'll also have the table up next week. So if you didn't bring any extra cash this week, you can bring some next week, look it over this week. Am I speaking correctly? Yeah. yeah, so uh, so Sheila is selling, and she's also going to have her testimony in next week. Powerful testimony. I had lunch with her this week, uh, what God is and has done and is doing and has done in her life. Also, for those of you who have yet to pick up a copy of Without Ceasing, uh, the little booklet that I wrote uh, this year, I'll have some of those in the back after service, so you can look me up, and I will get one to you, a booklet on prayer, hopefully encouraging all of us to engage in a deeper life of prayer. Uh, It's a powerful, powerful tool in our arsenal. And also in our arsenal is the the truth that uh, girds us up. That's what we read about in Ephesians chapter 6. The belt of truth. And we've been talking these past few weeks in Philippians chapter 3 about finding joy in knowing the truth. Truth is a precious, precious commodity. There is so much information out there in the world today that is false. Or that is a mix of something true and false, which is almost more dangerous. We find joy when we know the truth, and and we've talked about how the truth is found in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And how His Word sanctifies us or sets us apart from the world to be uniquely His, a peculiar people, the Bible says, peculiar in the best sense of the word. Although I've been in Christian circles for a long time and there are a lot of peculiar Christians. But that's one of the wonderful things about the body of Christ, isn't it? That God brings all kinds of people into his body. Not many noble, not many wise, but the the people who have been cast off, the are-nots, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's us. But the truth of God is a powerful tool. And we're going to conclude chapter 3 of Philippians today. But before we get into Philippians uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Jason, I'd like you to put up Matthew chapter 16. 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through... We'll get to Ephesians 2.10 in a little bit. Yeah, here we go. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. So, in turn, by application, this is Jesus speaking to you and to me. And he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So again, here we are talking about, and we'll get into this in the teaching this morning, the pursuit of Jesus Christ and truth. And obtaining that goal, coming into connection with, relationship with Jesus Christ, and valuing that relationship above all other things that we can possibly possess. As Jesus said, what good is it if you end up possessing all things, but you forfeit your soul? For 50, 60, 70 years, 80 if you're fortunate, you have everything. But for all of eternity, you're separated from true life, from relationship with your Creator. So, that, uh, with that as a foundation, we're going to begin to look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul has been talking about uh, an evaluation of his life looking at all of the things that were valuable to him before he knew Christ. In every respect, he was a superior Jew. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based upon the law, faultless. But whatever things were gained to me, he said, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, just as Jesus had counseled his disciples to deny themselves, to take up their crosses and follow him. Paul has done that. He has forsaken everything that was of great value to him. The things that he had worked diligently for throughout his life. He said, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, these things are like a pile of garbage. And in fact, that is true. If you and I were able to truly, truly encounter Jesus Christ today, just as Paul did on that road to Damascus, where Jesus outshone the noonday sun. And he said to to Paul at that time, Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? And Saul responded to him, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. From that moment forward, Saul, later Paul, would begin a pursuit of of Jesus Christ that would not conclude until the day of his death because he recognized the surpassing value of knowing Christ. All other things, by comparison, were infinitesimal. 
And he wanted to know Jesus Christ being found in him, not having his own righteousness coming from the law, but rather the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. He wanted to know Jesus in a personal and in an intimate way. Not religiously. Paul had been down that path. Paul had walked the road of religion, of ritual observance, and he knew ultimately how empty it was. He wanted to know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. He wanted to be so close to Jesus, he wanted to be in Christ. He wanted to be baptized into him, knowing the power of his resurrection, the participation of his sufferings, and becoming like him in death, therefore attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now Paul says, not that I have already attained all of this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. So Paul recognized that Christ had taken a hold of his life. Paul recognized that that day as he traveled to Damascus, with paperwork allowing him to persecute the Christians there. Paul recognized that Jesus had taken a hold of his life. And Paul determined that he would, in turn, take a hold of that which he had been taken a hold of for. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul is pressing on. And the term there in the Greek literally can also have the application of to persecute. It's, it's sort of like someone who just is relentless in pursuit of someone else. And just won't let it go. To the point of the person on the other end, perhaps, perceiving it as persecution. How many of you remember the, the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Remember what Butch Cassidy continued to say about the Pinkertons? Who are those guys? They just keep coming. They are relentless. They won't give up. They just keep chasing us. And that's what Paul is saying here as he presses on. He's relentless in his pursuit of Jesus Christ. It's sort of like Jacob there as he was getting ready to cross the, the, the Jabbok Brook and go and meet his brother Esau. He met there with God and wrestled with God, it says, the entire night, refusing to let go of God until God had blessed him. And that is the time, of course, where God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. But Jacob refused to let go. He was relentless in holding on to God. And that is what Paul is saying. I'm pressing on. I'm straining toward what lies ahead. I'm not looking back behind me, but I'm looking forward to Jesus Christ. He recognized that he had been taken a hold of by Jesus Christ and that God had given him a race to run. Jason put up Ephesians 2.10. And this is true for you also. This is not true only for the apostle. This is true for each and every disciple of Jesus Christ. You have been taken a hold of by Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this. I want you to also, as Paul did, take a hold of it. You have a race to run. 
Paul writes, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You are his poema. That's what the word translated from the Greek workmanship. You are his masterpiece. He is working on you. And he has created good works specifically assigned to you that you are to walk in as you run your race. So that in that race, in that pursuit, he can fashion you into the image of Jesus Christ. Jason, would you put up Hebrews chapter 12? This is a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture, and it has direct application to pressing on to the high calling we all have in Jesus Christ, to becoming that poema of God. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, referring to the previous chapter, chapter 11, where the writer had given a litany of all of the people of faith, going clear back to Adam, people who by faith pursued God, sought after God, regardless of the circumstances, the writer says, because of these, this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So once again, you have a race to run. And the first step to getting into the race is being intentional. Understanding that you have a race, but stepping into it. There are a lot of people at marathons and, and triathlons and so forth that observe the race. They come to be observers, to cheer on the participants. But you have the opportunity to enter into the race. In fact, you have been set upon by God. He has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light for that very purpose, to run a race that he has fashioned just for you. So you have to be intentional. You have to step into the race. And you have to understand that God has called each one of you to do that. It's not a race for me. It's not a race for other people. It's not something that you want to keep your eyes focused on anyone else's run, necessarily. But you want to get into the race. So you must be intentional about running the race. Secondly, you must be focused as you run the race. Who do you focus on? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. So you have to be focused as you run the race. It's so easy, church, isn't it, in this world to get distracted by things, by elections, inaugurations, 
and, and somehow get your eyes off of Jesus Christ and focus on things more temporal as you run the race. You have to be focused as you run this race and understand that at the finish line is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him endured the cross, the scorning and its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. As we run the race, we keep our eyes focused on Jesus in order to win a prize. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But keep your eyes focused on Jesus. I saw something this week that I thought was wonderful. It said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I thought that was really good. So you have to be focused to run the race. Don't get distracted. Don't turn aside. You have to be disciplined. Going back to verse 1, the writer says that we are to put off or to throw off all of those things, all of those sins which so easily beset us, which cause us to stumble. All of the things in your life, and it's different for every one of us, but there are things in our lives that cause us to stumble. Some of them are very overtly sin. Sometimes the things that cause you to stumble are unconfessed sin in your life. You know it, God knows it, sometimes the people around you know it. You're engaging in sin and it's causing you to stumble. It's like trying to run a a marathon with a ball and chain hooked to your ankle. I can't imagine doing that. But sometimes that's the, the, the actions of we Christians. We are trying to run a marathon race with a 50 pound ball and a chain attached to our ankle. Instead of simply taking the key, which has been given to us in the cross of Christ, and removing it and moving on. So we have to be disciplined. But sometimes it's not overt, obvious sin in our life. Sometimes it's just those little things that we allow to enter into our life that begin to take some precedence in our lives over our pursuit of our pressing on towards Jesus Christ. And again, there's a myriad of what those activities might be. Different for each one of us. But we need to examine our lives. We need to be disciplined in our lives. And put off those old behaviors that were born of the flesh. And put on the new man the new person, the new creation that you are in Jesus Christ. Each and every day, recognizing I am a new creature in Christ. I have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that I am going to encounter today as a new creation in Christ that is going to overwhelm me because I have the King of kings and the Lord of lords living inside of me. Understanding that. But then maintaining the disciplines of the Christian walk. Reading and studying the Word of God. Praying and receiving the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. Engaging in and nurturing the fellowship 
of the people of God. These are all basic Christian disciplines that we must be active in in order to run this race well. Don't expect as a Christian that you are going to be able to avoid those very basic disciplines that God has ordained that we take part in and expect that you are going to run the race well. It's sort of like, okay, Lance, I'm just going to throw you in here. Lance Dalek ran the Hard Rock 100, right? Hard Rock 100? Leadville 100, okay. It's a 100-mile trail race. Now, imagine, as Lance is running this 100-mile trail race, that at every stop, he sits down and eats a pizza. And then he moves on to the next one. And then at the next one, it's three or four cheeseburgers. Do you think that's going to help him run the race well? No, probably not. And I, I may be speaking out of turn because maybe that is what 100 milers do. I don't know, but, but I, I'm trying to make a point here. <laughs> is we, we can't expect to run a race and engage in behaviors that absolutely are going to be detrimental to succeeding in the race and expect to finish well. We must be disciplined. So we, you've got to be intentional. You've got to be focused. You've got to be disciplined. And you've got to persevere. And that's what it says right up. In verse 2, go on to verse 2 there, Jason. Um, it says that we are to run this race with perseverance. Oh, actually, maybe it was in verse 1. Go back. Yes, yes. Uh, to run, throw off everything that hinders. Okay, maybe it's just in my verse. No, there it is. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Perseverance. There are going to be times during your race as you pursue Christ that challenges will arise. Difficult times will come, and you are going to have to persevere through them. Again, if you're doing the basic disciplines, it's going to be a little bit easier for you, but not necessarily so. There are going to be challenges. For you who are married couples, you know this. For you who are single people, you know this. For you who are growing up in the Lord and are new Christians, you know this. The fact is we all understand Difficult times come in this life. And we've got to persevere through them. And we persevere through them because of the things that have come before. The intentionality. The focus. The discipline. Because of all those things, we persevere. And we run this race well. Ultimately, we will finish the race. Ultimately, you will conclude your race. All of us are going to die at some point in time. And next, not next week, next week Spencer Nichols is going to be speaking to us. But in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be speaking about heaven and what happens in heaven and what heaven is all about. Um, but when you finish the race, when you die and go to be in the presence of the Lord, listen to what happens. The Apostle Paul writes, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So Paul knew that he was running a race. He engaged all of those things that I just shared with you, intentionality, 
focus, discipline, perseverance. And here, Paul recognizes the finish line is near. He is finishing his race. He has kept the faith. And what does he say? He said, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And listen to this. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you long for the appearing of the Lord? Are your eyes focused on him? Are you pressing on, literally persecuting Jesus like Jacob did, refusing to let go in your life? I hope so. Because if you do, Paul says when you finish your race, you are going to receive from the Lord a crown of righteousness because you have loved him above all other things. Now that sounds like an extreme position to take, doesn't it? Everything's about Jesus. Everything in my life, whatever I do, whether it's my family, whether it's my work, whether it's attendance at church, whether it's pursuit of pleasure, everything in my life has to center upon Jesus Christ. Sounds extreme, doesn't it? Well, Paul recognizes that. And in verses 15 and 16, he says to the Philippians, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. So in other words, he's saying, yeah, it sounds extreme, but that's really the mature point of view for a Christian to to take. That your whole life is encompassed by Jesus Christ. Your life is all about pressing on towards him, about running a race that you might finish focused upon him. Whatever you do, do heartily the Bible says, as unto the Lord. That's the mature view of things. But if some of you on this point think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, don't look back. As Paul says, forget what lies behind. Keep your eyes focused on a prize that lies ahead. Don't run this race backwards. Run it looking forward. Your life as a Christian is about much, much more than one hour on Sunday morning. It has to be. If this really is all Christianity is about, then something's wrong. Your walk with Christ, your race towards Him is 24-7, 365, all the time. So join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as if you you have us for a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In other words, surround yourself with mature Christians. Get involved in small life groups with other Christians of like precious faith, people who will support you, who will pray for you, who will be examples to you. You know, if you're not in a small group, it's just hard, hard to continue to run this race. You need people to be in relationship with who can put their arm around you when you're stumbling, who can even carry you if necessary for a while.
through the race. And that's what Paul is exhorting them to do. Because the reality is, not only is this race a challenge for us to continue in, to finish, but also we have enemies who are attempting to keep us from participating in the race, from continuing on, from pressing towards the mark of the high call of Jesus Christ. Paul says here, he says, I've told you many times, even with tears, that there are those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Enemies of the cross of Christ are anybody, not necessarily who's a non-Christian, but anyone who tries to tell you You don't need to pick up the cross and carry it. What did Jesus say there? He said, if you would be my disciple, you must take up your cross and carry it. If you truly want to live an abundant life, you've got to lay down your life first. He who would Gain his life will lose it, Jesus said. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. There are people out there who are going to, to give to you the message. You're too extreme. You're too focused on Jesus. Your life is too centered upon this Christianity. Jesus experienced this through the mouth of the Apostle Peter. Jesus said, I'm heading towards Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day I will rise again. And Peter stood up, having just confessed Jesus as the Messiah, and said, Lord, God forbid, that should never happen. Don't go to the cross, Jesus. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me. For you're not thinking about the things of God, but the things of men. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We will, in this race, encounter those who will say, Don't take up the cross, don't lay down your life. There's an easier way. There's there's an other path that you can take. In the context of this chapter, Paul is talking about the Judaizers who were saying, yeah, you can be a Christian, but do it in the context of the Jewish religion so that you don't have to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. And Paul is saying that those people who are enemies of the cross of Christ ultimately have a destiny of destruction. The path is wide. Jesus said, that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Their God is their stomach, their fleshly appetites, the things that they want to uh, attain in this life. Their focus is earthly pleasure, earthly gain. There was a, a, a professor of business at Duke University, a guy named Thomas Naylor, and he would give his students at the beginning of each semester a, a little survey to fill out, asking them what they hoped to gain from his class. And through the years, he compiled the list of things that people wanted to gain from his class and ultimately from obtaining a degree in business from Duke University. And he said, over the years, everything would compile into one of three categories. 
money, power, or possessions. That's why people wanted a business degree from Duke University. That's much of the world seeking after money, power, or possessions. And Paul says, their God is their stomach. They're seeking the things that are temporary, that come and go. What happens to everything that goes into our stomach? It ultimately goes out. Their glory is their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. So here again, in the pursuit of Jesus Christ, in the focus upon him, where is our ultimate attention? In heaven, isn't it? Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the suffering of the cross, was seated at the right hand of the Father. So too, our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven. Now, we are all citizens here of the United States. As such, we possess certain privileges of citizenship. One recently, most of us exercise that of the right to vote, to engage in the civic process of electing our leaders. So, too, as citizens of heaven, we possess certain rights and prerogatives. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. We can at any time, for any reason, go before the throne of grace, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, and receive help in time of need. We have an absolute entrance into heaven in the name of Jesus Christ. When, when you die and you arrive in, at, at heaven's gates, all you have to do is Say, covered by the blood, and you're in. Now, imagine if I would have tried to, at the last minute, go to President Trump's inaugural swearing in and walk up to the stand and say, I want to be up here. I want to be up here. I want to watch this. I should be privileged to do that, right? Do you think they would have let me up there? Probably not. We have citizenship in heaven. We are allowed in. We have a a, a Savior who we eagerly await there. Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, for those of you who are a little bit psyched out by the new administration, And I I recognize that there are people that are. I mean, obviously, there were a lot of protests and everything going on. Here's here's what I want you to focus on. Eight years ago, the other side was doing the same thing, freaking out. Oh, no, we've got this Democrat in office. He's a progressive. He's a liberal. And now the other side is saying, oh, no, we've got this this, uh, conservative uh, guy in office. Your focus should not be on those things. Because here's what I can promise you. In the end, God remains on the throne, regardless of who our president is. God remains on the throne. We eagerly await not a president, but a Savior who will transform our earthly bodies into heavenly bodies that will be 
set for eternity. Everything that we gather up ultimately in this life will burn. Or if it's done in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ, it will be an investment in the lives of people who will be our crown in heaven. I want to read a poem to you to conclude. How many of you have ever heard of Shel Silverstein? Oh, a lot of you. Okay. I became familiar with him through my wife who had a bunch of his books. A lot of teachers apparently love this guy. He has sort of a unique poetry. This poem is called Hector the Collector. Hector the Collector collected bits of string, collected dolls with broken heads and rusty bells that would not ring, bent-up nails and ice cream sticks, twists of wires, worn-out tires, paper bags, and broken bricks. Old chipped vases, half shoelaces, Gatlin guns that wouldn't shoot, leaky boats that wouldn't float, and stopped-up horns that wouldn't toot, butter knives that had no handles, copper keys that fit no locks, rings that were too small for fingers, dried-up leaves and patched-up socks, worn-out belts that had no buckles, electric trains that had no tracks, airplane models and broken bottles. Three-legged chairs and cups with cracks. Hector the Collector loved these things with all his soul. Loved them more than shining diamonds. Loved them more than glistening gold. Hector called to all the people, come and share my treasure trunk. And all the people came and looked and called it junk. What are you collecting in your life? What kind of a race are you running? today? Is it one fixed upon Jesus Christ? Or are you fixed upon collecting items that really have no eternal value? Heavenly Father, we pray here this morning that you would set us aright on this race that you have placed before us. We are your workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for each and every soul here this morning that you would empower us by your Spirit, that you would shine a light before us through your Word, that you would encourage us through your church, the body of Christ, that we might run this race with endurance. And just as Jesus persevered for the joy set before him, so too let us persevere because of the prize that awaits us. Hearing our Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Enter in now to the joy of your Lord. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll conclude with the hymn.